ESPN Radio. Los Angeles Lakers shut down LeBron James. This is ESPN Radio, Amber Wilson and Jason Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. You can tweet to us at Jason Fitz, at Amber W790. You can also join the conversation on the Canty call-in line, 1-888-SAY-ESPN. That is 888-729-3776. We are asking you, did the NFL get it right with the new overtime rule change that came out of this week's owners' meetings? We have a lot of you on hold wanting to chime in. We will get to you. (laughs) Keep holding. We've got to talk some Los Angeles Lakers First, now, Jason, the Los Angeles Lakers have listed both LeBron and Anthony Davis as doubtful for Tuesday night's road game against the Dallas Mavericks. Davis went through a full live practice for the first time since suffering that right midfoot sprain back in mid-February. So progress in terms of AD, the opposite direction in terms of LeBron. He did not participate in practice, according to his coach, Frank Vogel. The Lakers star stayed back at the hotel. He's undergoing treatment. Reportedly, his ankle is still very swollen. Doesn't think it doesn't seem like he's going to be good to go against the map. So Fitz, we're at a place now with the Lakers sitting at 10th in the West. They're just a game ahead of the Spurs who are in that 11th position. They're unlikely to make the postseason. If you look at their remaining schedule, they're really unlikely to do it. If LeBron ain't 100%, I still have no idea when AD is coming back, even if he's trending that direction. Should the Lakers just give up, shut LeBron down, let him take the summer off? Yeah, sit him down. Be done with it. And, you know, there's a couple of different angles to this. Uh, You know, in my mind, number one, if you're the Lakers, what are you going to get out of a run right now? I understand that everybody could say, well, if all of the guys could get healthy, then they could go on a magical run in the playoffs. I look at the West this year and think, my God, even if they get healthy, even if AD and LeBron come back healthy, can they compete in this West that looks so wild right now today as it stands? I I don't know. And we have no proof of concept that they will come back together healthy. So on the one hand, it's super easy for me to say, what do you like? You're bringing him back so you can lose in the first round. Best case, like you can make it to the playoffs. But more importantly, if I'm the NBA, I'm looking at the lake. I am begging the Lakers to shut LeBron down because at some point we got to start focusing on the teams that are actually going to make the playoffs that actually have a shot at winning the championship. Like if it takes shutting down LeBron to actually acknowledge the spurt the, the Suns, I should say, I don't think that's the worst thing for the NBA because they got to get ahead of trying to make sure that everybody knows, like even without LeBron in the playoffs, these are going to be really good games. I, well, I don't know if the NBA wants anything to do with LeBron shutting down because I'm not sure I agree with you there that the NBA would prefer we turn our attention to the other teams around the league. Now, of course, if LeBron is out, then that's the direction things are going to have to go anyways. But the ratings are always better. The eyeballs are always better when LeBron and the Lakers are in the mix. I just don't think they're going to be in the mix. Frankly, right now they're in a situation. We've got eight games left. You now have a hobbled James who's been out there doing everything. I mean, for his team to get wins, that man has to put up 45 a night. The only thing I think he's been playing for the last couple weeks, Fitz, 
isn't even the postseason. He said he's having the time of his life. The Lakers are terrible. He doesn't have enough help out there. He knows that. He's been playing for the scoring title. That's it. That's the only thing for LeBron to play for at this point because otherwise, what are you doing? You're going to go out there. You're going to put in all your max effort at 37 years old when you're hobbled now on an ankle that is swollen that you turned in the last game, and then what are you going to get for it? a play-in scenario where you have to win two games in order to even make the first round, essentially. So if you're the Lakers, I just feel like at this point, it's kind of a wrap. Again, I don't know when AD is coming back. I guess he's trending that direction. That's good news. I don't know what AD is going to look like, though, if he is coming back with only a few games left in the season. But now, if you have AD coming back from injury, who's been sitting out all this time since mid-February, and you have LeBron playing on a bum ankle, he's not going to get the scoring title. He's also not going to get the actual title because they're not going to go anywhere. They're going to be in a play-in scenario, and they're going to get tossed immediately. I don't know if that's good for anybody. Yeah, I just keep I, – I can't say this loud enough. The Lakers are trash this year. They're just bad. And, like, at some point, we have to look at – and I did this. I was on radio when AD and LeBron were brought together, and it was how many championships will they have to win for LeBron to cement himself as the part of the Mount Rushmore of the Lakers? And what would have to happen for this team to become the new dynasty? And will this team be able to, to hand the torch off to AD in a way that makes us all forget about any era of Lakers basketball? There were all these big, grandiose – they're 31-43 and 43. Like, they're really bad. They're not just bad. They're awful. And at some point, what are you playing for? Like, if your best guy can come out and make you mediocre? Like, that's not what the Lakers as an organization thought they were getting into. If you know and you're looking around the landscape and you think, golly, this thing has gotten so off the rails, like, just lay down and die. Like, live to face another fight. Get out of the ring on this one and acknowledge that you got to, like, I was a fat kid that played a lot of dodgeball, like, when I was a kid. Like, everybody did, right? I was a fat kid that played the violin playing dodgeball. Sometimes you're just getting hit with so many dodgeballs at once, you just lay down and play dead. That's what the Lakers need to do. They need to possum the heck out of this thing and just acknowledge their season's dead and it's time to move on. I like that Jason Fitz just found a way as the fat kid who played dodgeball and violin to compare himself to LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers. But that's where we're at with LeBron James right now and the Lakers. And it's no fault of James. We know that he's been out there doing everything this season. But now if he's injured on top of that, like you're 37 years old, boss, take the summer off. Enjoy yourself. Kick up that (laughs) ankle. Give it a little rest. Pour yourself a nice glass of vino. Sit out there in your beautiful yard in California and just enjoy yourself. Enjoy your life. The last time we saw him take the summer off, it worked out pretty well and resulted in another championship for LeBron James. He's not used to having entire summers off so maybe he'll enjoy this one even a little extra more monica mcnutt she was on first take she's of course espn's nba analyst she talked about whether lebron should even bother to come back when he's healthy i said this as soon as anthony davis went down what is the actual point and this for me comes in tandem with lebron james himself saying that he wants to continue to play basketball until he can play alongside his son and make history in that way, which would be pretty cool, but is not going to happen next year. And so to me, LeBron James has nothing to prove in my mind. Like, I know this is probably not his way, but he has nothing to prove and more to protect. And so this Lakers team ain't been doing nothing since December. What? Why? Just why? 
the only point that I could conceive is that he was going after that scoring title. And now on a hobbled ankle, he's probably not going to get it because he's less than a point ahead of Giannis and who else is on that list? Embiid probably, right? And so he's right there in terms of the scoring title, fine. But it's not going to result in an actual title. And at this point, I tend to agree with Monica. Why not just shut it down? Protect yourself. Protect your body. Look ahead to next season. You're going to have to trade away Anthony Davis in the offseason. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned the scoring title and there's so many accolades that LeBron's earned unfortunately and I do legitimately mean unfortunately I feel like the world's already dug themselves in one way or the other on who they think LeBron is and what his legacy should be so I'm not sure what he can do short of winning a title that that means anything to anybody so maybe the personal accomplishment means something to LeBron from that but the LeBron haters will still look at it and say, well, look at all the points he scored and his team still suck, right? Like, you're not going to change anybody's mind on most of this. If you're the league and you're looking around, if you're the Lakers and you're looking around, once you know that this is lost, I, I, it only makes me think more that if he wants to play for a long time, you got to save him. And sometimes you have to save athletes from themselves. Like, sometimes you got to step in as an organization and say, let's live to fight another day. That, that's where they are. Justin, he's in Phoenix. Justin, you've got 30 seconds to tell us why the Lakers can still make a run. What's up, guys? So, healthy or not, they still have a chance to get to the play-in. You win the play-in game. Let's say you face Phoenix in the first round. If everybody's healthy, they can take Phoenix in seven games when healthy. They've played them close before when they're healthy. It'd be worth seeing. I, I I can't see LeBron giving up or them giving up on LeBron just because of what's going on. Like, that's just not in his mentality. And so I think with everybody healthy, if they can get past the play in, then they can give Phoenix a run in the first round. That the Thanks level for the of call, brand, Justin. But I mean, the level of brand bias there, where it's like the Lakers, because they're the Lakers and LeBron, can take on the Suns. Because the Suns are sixty-one and fourteen. Put some respect on that. Well, Good and right God. now, nobody can take on the Suns in terms of their regular season record. Anything can happen, right? In the playoffs, anything can happen sure. in in a, in the best of seven. I just don't even think this Lakers team can get to a best of seven because they're going to have to get through multiple play-in games. It seems like in order to get there, if they even make the play-in, because right now they're in danger of not making it at all. So them being in the postseason is certainly not given but I think to Justin's point the whole important word that he kept saying is health if they're healthy well that's been the whole problem here and that's the problem moving forward because it appears now that LeBron is not even healthy the whole reason that he wanted to win that scoring title by the way Jason when I mentioned the scoring title is because Michael Jordan definitely never did it at 37 years old that's it would be quite point. the accomplishment that's the only thing I think LeBron would be playing for at this point and the only reason frankly to play through a hobbled ankle the NBA is on ESPN radio tune in tonight as the Mavs host the Lakers presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 7 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. Coming up next, which program has had a bigger impact on their sport, Duke men's basketball or UConn women's basketball? That is next. This is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. The madness continues. Westwood One, NCAA Radio Network. The Coach K farewell tour has one more stop. For a record 13th time under Mike Krzyzewski, the Blue Devils are going to the Final Four. This is ESPN Radio. 
We are going to get to college basketball in just a second, but we have a lot of callers hanging out, waiting, anxious, Jason, to talk about the new overtime change in the NFL. We're in the postseason. We will see both teams in the NFL get the opportunity to possess the ball. So we will get to see Josh Allen have the opportunity for the Buffalo Bills to possess the ball. If that game ever presents itself in that situation again let's go out to matt he's in pennsylvania matt how do you feel about the new overtime rule in the nfl uh i don't like it um really honestly this is like brandon staley's like dream role it gives like the reason in overtime like say in the like in the team that receipt like wins the coin toss they can defer then the other team only gets three downs and has to play traditionally, whereas it's, it's a double win for the, the team that deferred because they can then force them either to punt and then win by field goal, or if the other team scores, they can go for it on fourth down every single time. It completely changes the outlook of the game and the strategy. That's why I say the Brandon Staley role. Uh, well, it'll certainly change things. Any rule, though, Jason, that's being instituted here is going to change things and probably going to change how teams approach things. I mean, just by the very nature of now you have to definitely consider what you're going to do offensively. And then, like they said, like that caller said, with the coin toss, it's certainly going to change how han- how how teams handle this. But any change to the overtime rules would change how teams handle overtime unless we just maintained – the status quo with sudden death. But it does, to, to his point, give a tremendous advantage to whoever defers because you will know them what you have to do. So that's it, – it's interesting. Uh, I, I think that becomes part of the strategy. You actually want to win the coin toss just to defer. I uh, hadn't really thought about it, but it makes total sense. Like, you let the other team take the field. You risk that they'll score a touchdown, and you have to score a touchdown. But, you know, no different than college football. Like, the, you want to have the ball second in that first overtime so that you can figure out what you actually have to put up on the on the board. So, that's good. But it also then comes back to, I mean, in, in, in fairness, at that point, that will have required that you made a stop and get the ball back. I right. mean, there's a lot of different variables to that. Right. It's it's there's more variables to it than sudden death. So when we had the other caller in an earlier segment and threw out percentages in terms of how the coin toss predicts the winner, the coin toss is still whoever wins the coin toss is still going to have an advantage. I don't think it's the advantage that we have such a problem with. I think it's the coin toss exclusively deciding games that we have such a problem with. Certainly, it'll still be an advantage for the team who wins the coin toss. But I would imagine those percentages that that other caller threw out were he said it 85% of the time in the postseason, it's whoever wins the coin toss then wins the game. And I would imagine that number becomes somewhat lower because at least like you said, there's other variables that go into it other than just, hey, we want a coin toss and now we go score and the game is over. But let's transition to overtime in college basketball because there was an unbelievable game last night. Jason Fitz on the women's side of the bracket. A double OT. It took the UConn Huskies to get it done over end NC State, UConn makes its 14th consecutive women's Final Four. An unbelievable run here for Gino Ariyama, who has guided the Huskies to 22 Final Fours overall during his tenure at UConn. We've talked a lot about Coach K in the men's bracket because, of course, this is his last dance. Gino's another one of those coaches, just so intricately tied to his program. And so I'm wondering, Fitz, who's... Whose program means more here? Whose program has been more impactful? Is it Duke or UConn when it comes to college basketball? It's such an interesting question because Duke is synonymous with so much success and Coach K is such a legend. But 
I keep thinking about women's basketball, particularly, and the growth that came in different eras for different uh, different uh, chapters of UConn. I, I'll think back to when Tennessee and the Lady Vols and Pat Summit were so stinking good, and it was UConn versus Tennessee was such a, a big rivalry. And for me, moving at the time to to the state of Tennessee, I was a little bit. Uh, it was wild to me. I'm like, why does everybody hate Connecticut and Tennessee? And it's like, well, let me explain to you this rivalry. Like, I think that sort of David versus David, not David Goliath, but like, or Goliath, Goliath. I don't know. Big guy, big guy. Mm-hmm. Huge program, huge program. In that moment, I think was good for the growth of college uh, women's college basketball. The sustained success, I would argue, while some people think it's been bad, I think it's been good for women's college basketball. And now to see the recruits that are coming in and the way that Paige played last night in that win, I just keep looking at it thinking, I think UConn has been a huge part of why women's basketball is where it is today. So I take UConn on that, but I don't. You could make a compelling argument either way. Yeah, it's really, really hard to parse through this because they both both programs have meant so much, of course, to their respective sport. It's funny you mentioned that rivalry between Tennessee and UConn. We talked a lot, me and Freddie Coleman, on this show yesterday about the rivalry between Duke and UNC because Greeny had said this completely absurd thing on his show, Jason Fitz, where he said that the rivalry ends when Coach K walks off the court for the last time. Essentially, the rivalry ends here when they see each other on Saturday in the final four and we thought that that was quite a thing to say because we thought hey this rivalry between Duke and UNC isn't reliant on who's actually coaching right that exists anyways but you mentioned that rivalry with UConn and Tennessee and that's not as much of an obvious rivalry of course as Duke and UNC where Duke and UNC are eight miles apart and they're interstate rivals any way you cut it they're pulling from the same pool of students. That's not the case with UConn and Tennessee. It's what those programs have actually meant to their sport, how elevated those programs have become that produced that heated rivalry to the extent that we ended up seeing it. And so to your point, UConn has really blazed a path there in its respective sport. And we all love to hate a Goliath. We need the UConns of the world. I know people say it's bad. It's not bad. It's never bad. You know, it's it's never bad for ratings. It, the Warriors weren't bad for ratings in the NBA. The Patriots weren't bad for ratings in the NFL. I hated those teams, Fitz. I hated them. I have no stake in the game here for UConn women's basketball or Duke men's basketball. I love to hate on Duke men's basketball in particular, but you need that in your life. You need the program that you can hate. You need the Goliath. Yeah, no, I hate Duke men's basketball. There's no doubt about that. But I also hate Greeny's take. I, that, that's that's just bad. Like, there, there's no part of it. Doesn't matter. Michigan plays Ohio State in football. I don't care if you and I are the head coaches on those teams. I don't care if they haven't won a game. The the world will stop and watch Michigan Ohio State. Like, there are certain rivalries that mean more than anything. Uh, the fact that Duke is such a rival to so, so many different programs is also a substantial tip of the cap to what they've accomplished. But for me, women's basketball, the WNBA, all. I mean, the amount of impact made to the sport overall that's come from UConn is is bigger. I will tell you because I'm up here in Connecticut in Bristol doing this show from ESPN headquarters, and I watched that UConn game last night with a bunch of UConn fans because obviously Connecticut, and the whole bar was so tuned into that UConn game. It was unbelievable. It was one of the best basketball games I've ever seen. I know Gino said after the game it was the best basketball game he's ever been part of. I think a lot of us who just even witnessed that game felt that way. Double OT in the Elite Eight. They are headed to the Final Four. Coming up. The Minnesota Timberwolves turn around this season. It's one of the best stories in the NBA, and their head coach, Chris Finch, will join the show next. ESPN Radio.
Amber Wilson and Jason Fitz here on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. You can tweet to us at Jason Fitz at Amber W790. And now we get to turn our attention to the guest line where we get to bring in the head coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves, Chris Finch. And coach, thanks so much for joining us. I want to start because I've heard you mention energy several times this season in talking about your team. And it has seemed the second half of the season here that your team has played with a renewed energy, with a real sense of resilience. What do you attribute that change to? Yeah, thanks. Appreciate you having me on. Um, I think it has to do a lot with just a young team learning and believing more and more in itself through its own successes, you know, just kind of stacking small successes on top of each other, figuring out their identity, playing to that identity. Um, and then just having a confidence of their teammates. Like we have a deep team. We've had a lot of great contributions, you know, from a, uh, from a roster really in a season that's challenged every team with a lot of the COVID absences early or injuries or all the things that you go through in a regularly long 82 game season. We've had a lot of young guys step up and not just figure out who they are as a player, but figure out the NBA and figure out their role in our team and how it help us win. Coach with the team playing so well right now, when you look back over the course of the year, was there a turning point moment that you can think of that really changed the tides? Um. Yeah, that's a great question. I, th- I don't know if there was a single turning point for us. You know, we, we started the season r- really well. We started, play, like, I thought playing uh, great basketball. We jumped out to a you know, 3-1 uh, record, I believe. We had a big win in Milwaukee. Uh, and then we kind of, like, just stubbed our toe. We lost six in a row. and we had, Then we had a big, uh, big win in L.A. early on in the season. And that kind of stopped the bleeding. We, even though – you know, we are, we had a losing record. We just lost six in a row. We never really thought we were a bad team. I think we always maintained confidence. Uh, and then from that period of time, which was, oh, you know, I would say early December-ish through till Christmas, maybe, you know, mid-November through Christmas, that period of time, like, we were trading punches. We'd kind of slip a little bit and get a few wins and had a hard time with our consistency. Um, and, and, again, that's just kind of typical of a young team. But it was really through that period, and then like we had a lot of COVID absences, that our bench really started to play extremely well, and that gave us like the depth that we needed um, to really bolster our first unit, which had been playing very well, uh, you know, through wins or through losses, they had played very well. So, kind of I'd say that pre-Christmas era was when it started to all kind of come together. Yeah, you haven't had a three-game losing streak since December 28th to January 2nd, which is when you were hit by the COVID-19 outbreak. Chris Finch, Minnesota Timberwolves head coach, joining us on ESPN Radio. And so, Coach, I know one of the things that has been of the utmost importance to you is getting your team to shake it off after each loss so that, of course, you don't get into a rut with continued losses. How do you convey that message to such a young team? How do you get their minds from dwelling on what they just did? Yeah, I've I've been – Patrick Beverly has been really key in this department for us. He's He gives us a lot of experience, a lot of games – uh, he's played a lot of high leverage games, a lot of exciting, you know, basket, meaningful basketball. And you're, you know, you're going to, you're going to lose some and you just got to, you can't let one loss spill into another. Um, and he's, he's been really good at kind of maintaining that line for our guys. And, and if we, if we lose because we didn't play well uh, and we didn't have, you know, have our a game that night, 
You know, that's one type of message. Hey, we got to be better. Uh, and if we lose be, and we did play well, that's, that's another type of message. It's like, Hey, it's okay. We'll, we're not going to win them all. Let's do it again tomorrow and bounce back. So that perspective has been huge and he's really helped manage the, you know, expectations in the locker room. We're talking to Chris Finch, Minnesota Timberwolves head coach. Uh, I can't talk to you and not talk about Carl Anthony Towns. And obviously everybody's falling in love again with somebody that's been playing really well for a long time, but you've gotten a different level Mm -hmm. of play out of him this year. What's been the key for you with this communication with him to do that? Yeah. I mean, Cat's having an all NBA season, hands down, no doubt about it. He should be in that top 15 when it's all said and done. Um, He's played at a high level all year long. He's played very, very efficiently. um, And he's done a great job of like continuing to grow his game and, and then step up at the right moments when his team needs it the most, whether it's a game-winning shot in Cleveland or whether it's a 60-point game in San Antonio or whether it's great defense down the stretch, um, you know, and many other games that I could choose. So I think it, it's it's like just opening the line of communication with them, like I try to do with all of our guys, building that level of trust, creating a structure and environment that, Let's these guys kind of play to their strengths. And then me, I try to get out of the way. Like, I'm, I'm not going to overcoach these great players. Just let them be great. Um, and then, finally, it's about the teammates. I mean, he's got great support here. His teammates really, really rally around him, support him. And, uh, you know, it's something that he's not always had. And it's important for all young p- people and all young players as they try to build confidence. And, um, and when you have that, you know, you see, you have he certainly has the talent, and the skill at such a high level, and now he has the confidence and the support of his teammates and coaches. So um, he's had an amazing season, and I think it's just the beginning of what could be the run into his prime of his career. Chris Finch, Minnesota Timberwolves head coach, joining Amber Wilson and Jason Fitz here on ESPN Radio. Carl Anthony Towns is young, and you keep referencing the young team that you have. Anthony Edwards is even younger. I mean, you're talking about a 20-year-old in Edwards. Tell me about his growth, Coach, and where is the ceiling for a player like Edwards? I mean, his ceiling is certainly, you know, he's a franchise-level talent. Um, He has to keep learning, uh, you know, learning all the habits and building the foundation of being a great professional. That's something that all young players have to do. He's learning on the fly as he sees, you know, teams game planning for him, different looks every single night. Um, and that's all like stuff that he's got to learn to process. And uh, he's doing a good job of sorting through it all. And our coaching staff is doing a good job of helping him prepare. And he's going to, you know, have some great moments and he's going to have some, you know, in between moments. But what we love about him is that he's got unbelievable confidence. He has great time, sense of timing in a game about when the game needs him to kind of go to another gear. His defense is becoming much, much better. He's actually one of our best on-ball defenders now. Um, he's just learning more and more about his off-ball defense. He's learning more and more about, um, you know, how to handle different defenses that he's seeing. So, you know, as these things, like, slow down for him, which I would think in a year from now that would start to happen, um, we feel really, really excited about Ant's future here. Coach, we've talked so much about the players, but even for you, you worked so hard for so long to get an opportunity to be a head coach in the NBA. Last year, you get that opportunity in a very strange year for the NBA. How different has this year been for you trying to figure out who you are as a head coach? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it's uh, 
you know, you don't get to pick your timing in life. And you just have been fortunate enough to be in a lot of kind of crazy situations that have prepared me to navigate or have a comfort level to navigate through tough times and tough things. Um, and this year, this year was, uh, I was very much looking forward to it because I was able to kind of like have a training camp with actually the benefit of what I learned last year on the fly about my, my own team, our own players. Um, and, and then the things that I could like go away in the summer and really prepare, um, and, uh, come back with like a foundation of what I thought would work, put together a staff that could help us execute it. You know, I've got great staff with Elson Turner has been in the league for 35 years and, you know, coached all different types of defenses. You know, he's been instrumental in helping us build a top 10 defense here. Um, and just, you know, things that like, you know, oftentimes I, I think a lot as crazy as last year was, it, it probably was a success for me to be able to kind of organize and layer what my approach was going to be this year because I had, so much corporate knowledge that like had I been hired in the summer, I would not have had and may have taken me 30 games to figure out. Well, your approach is certainly working coach a such a fun, exciting young team to watch here down the stretch. And as you make noise headed into the postseason, Chris, Chris Finch, Minnesota Timberwolves head coach. Thanks so much for joining us, coach. Thanks coach. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Coming up next, we stay in the NBA. Is the Golden State Warriors dynasty still a thing? That's next. This is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. There is a situation going on with the Dallas Cowboys and its owner, Jerry Jones. That is a confusing one. A legal problems for Jerry Jones. Now, we know that there was a lawsuit filed against him where a woman was claiming to be his daughter. And now Jerry Jones has asked the judge on Monday to toss out the paternity case that's against him, saying the 25-year-old congressional aide who alleges that she is his daughter is involved in one of a multiple monetary extortion attempts against him and the Dallas Cowboys. Fitz, there's a lot to unpack here because essentially what Jerry Jones camp is saying is that people are trying to extort him and the Dallas Cowboys, and it all stems back, according to Jones and Jones's camp, to his daughter's divorce and to his ex-son-in-law. And he's alleging here that through that divorce, and particularly as it pertains to his ex-son-in-law, that that's where the alleged extortion stems from. Apparently an ugly divorce there for the Jones family. And so now you have this woman come out and she's saying that she's Jerry Jones' daughter and that he paid off her mother to the tune of something like $250,000 and she always had to keep it quiet and she's been harmed by that and now he's trying to get the entire case tossed. There's a lot of drama surrounding the Jones camp. That's what I can unpack so far from everything that we're hearing. I love that that it is that complicated because you're smart and I'm just sitting here saying, why does this feel like, and the way you described it is so perfect. The most important thing that I've just learned is that I'm so glad I'm not dirty rich because like nobody's coming after me for anything. Like Mm -hmm. you come after me for like, you know, three-year-old Reese's peanut butter cups that are under the couch. That's about it. Like, so, you know, this is one of those weird moments where Jerry Jones just finds himself in such unusual situations. I can't. I'm not smart enough to figure out what he did in this that, that's illegal, but 
uh, it, you know, facing the lawsuit doesn't make it any like he's got to answer all of this stuff now. It's, it's wild. I'm a lawyer and I can't even fully unpack what he did here. <laughs> and it's not illegal, so to speak, but yeah. it, it it seems like the allegations are that she's his daughter and that it seems like he would have then, according to her lawsuit, paid the mother some semblance of what would probably amount to child support. So I wouldn't see an obligation there of sort of back support sort of things. And then also in the state of Texas, you can disinherit your biological children because some people have wondered if that's the issue. She wants to be in the will. But there are allegedly two trusts set up for her benefit, and we don't know the amount of those trusts. So it's not just the payment that happened allegedly when she was one years old to her mother. There's a lot here to unpack, like I said, and apparently all stems back to this other divorce going on. We will certainly be hearing more out of Cowboys camp about all of this. ESPN Radio. The Golden State Warriors were phenomenal at the beginning of the season. Everyone thought easily best team in the NBA for a while there. Jason Fitz, right? Looks a little different as we head down the stretch in the regular season and into the postseason here. This is ESPN Radio, Amber Wilson and Jason Fitz. The NBA is on ESPN Radio. Tune in tonight as the Mavs host the Lakers. Presented by Indeed, coverage begins at 7 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. So the Golden State Warriors have certainly have have had setbacks this season with injuries. They've had setbacks all season long because they were missing Draymond Green. He hasn't looked the same, though, since he came back from the disc injury. They lost Steph Curry because of the foot injury. They Their defense, they seem to have lost their defense as well uh, somehow, some way, which was really the cornerstone of what made them so successful in the th- first half of the season. And they've been going the opposite direction in the standings. Still a team that's a contender, still a team that's third in, ta- in terms of NBA standings for the Western Conference. They're going to make the postseason. But... Is the title window closing here for the Golden State Warriors, Jason Fitz? No, of course it's not closing for the Golden State Warriors. Think about everything you just said early on in the season. We were like, oh, my God, watch this. It's so much fun. They're hitting everything. They're doing everything right. It's all working just fine. Now, yes, uh, they've lost six of their last seven. They've lost three in a row. Like, it has not been particularly pretty of late, I'll say that. But the difference here, and, and, you know, I think it's a substantial one, even when we talk about all of the injuries the Warriors have sustained, they're 48 and 28. They've had some moments in the season where they looked virtually unbeatable. So whereas we're looking on one side with the Lakers and saying, okay, you know what? The Lakers can't get healthy and can't put it together. That's because they haven't done it. This year, the Warriors, while they haven't been necessarily as healthy as they want, have been able to play quality basketball in that point. So why would I count out the Warriors when we've seen how good this year they can be if they just get hot? And that's that's not a big if for a team that knows how to do that. So I think the Warriors have every chance to come out of the West. Is it not a big if? I mean, it's been many years since we've seen them do just that. We talk about the Golden State Warriors like they're still the dynasty Golden State Warriors. And I understand some of these parts look the same, and so that's why we do it. But they're not the same team. We haven't seen them win a championship since 2018. It has been years since we saw that Golden State Warriors team. I think that we're all living in the past a bit by expecting that this team is just going to pick up where that team left off and that's what made 
their early season run so darn surprising because for a minute there, it didn't look like they had lost a step in five years, which would be remarkable if they hadn't. But here we are now at the end of the season, and they're starting to show some of their cracks because things have changed over the last five years for that team, and durability being one of those things that has changed for this previous Dynasty Warriors team, so to speak. Monica McNutt was on first take, of course, ESPN's NBA analyst. She talked about whether the Warriors championship window has closed. The door is closed. This is not about anything that these guys can or cannot do. It is just the reality of the league that we all love and consume insatiably. All three of the guys that are at the center of what the Warriors have done have missed notable amounts of time with injuries. While we hate to see players injured, that's a part of the game. It would be different to me, JJ, if these guys were still 24 24 through 26 now dealing with injuries, right? So they are all plus 30. They've all been injured. And quite frankly, the rest of the league, because they have been a gold standard for so long, has worked diligently and literally built rosters so that they can contend. Yeah, I could not agree with Monica Moore there because we have seen this Warriors team. So people, of course, know how to prepare for this Warriors team. But again, this is the much older version of this Warriors team. And at times it looks a bit broken because, hey, they're all 30 plus like Monica said. Yeah, well, here's the thing. Uh, part of your statement was totally right. I could not agree with Monica. We could have just stopped right there. Like, you know, Monica, great, but she's wrong here. And and I, I'll go back to not that long ago. I was hanging out talking to my buddies on the ESPN radio affiliate in Memphis. And one of the questions they were asking me is the Grizzlies station is, you know, do you think there's any shot that the Grizz could actually catch the Warriors? Like, we forget how recent it was this year that the Warriors were a really good basketball team. Now, yeah, I think for a lot of us, we thought once Draymond got back and got healthy that it was going to sort of ascend to another height. That hasn't happened. Now they've had other injury issues. I understand all of these variables have, have, have happened, but when you're talking about a team that has played that this well this year, I just think it's it's flippant to dismiss the ability for guys to take over. It, it's You're right that health is not as easy at their age. I also love saying that when I'm older than all of them. But I, I, recovery is not as easy at their age as it was 10 years ago. But there is something to be a wily veteran that knows how to get through a playoff run. I, I'm not counting the Warriors out until the – like it's, uh, it's alarming to me we live in a world where we're trying to count the Lakers in and we're trying to count the Warriors out. I'm not trying to count the Lakers in by any means. But frankly, I – I do think that the Warriors are out. I mean, we're not going to see Steph, I don't think, for the rest of the regular season. Iguodala is certainly not the player that he used to be. I thought it was lofty expectations to think that Draymond would come back and look like he hasn't missed a step, and it certainly hasn't worked out. You mentioned the age thing there, Jason. It's a warning, kids, something that none of us probably considered when we went into this business, that you seem young when you get in, and then at some point in your 30s, you start talking about players who are much younger than you, like they're ancient and Mm -hmm. you realize how old you quickly feel so that's the one that is the one downside of this profession i have learned the one thing i'll say quickly on the west that i think could make the warriors feel done is that there are so many good teams packed in together the difference between being a three seed and a six seed is not much in this year's nba they are so equally matched. you got to be healthy to get through the gauntlet. The other thing that could make them feel done is that the Suns are 61 and 14. And I think that should make everybody in the Western Conference feel pretty.
pretty done. It is so lopsided at the top with that team sitting on the top. And then nobody's trying to count out the Memphis Grizzlies either right below them. Coming up next, we go back to the NFL. Did they make the right call by changing the overtime rules?